Every year, millions of products and services hit the market with sky-high aspirations. And every year, millions of those same products and services fail. The reason? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is that consumer expectations, they just continue to rise. And this means that people's tolerance for a bad experience has all but disappeared. We all tend to remember the good experiences we have, and that creates expectations across all other similar or comparable experiences. This was something we saw a lot that if one segment, one industry, one like subset of websites or mobile apps raises the bar, that translates into lower satisfaction across many other industries. My first experience with them determines whether I'm going to work with them in the future or not. The bar keeps getting higher and higher, especially with these newer experiences. Meet Kai Vandaloo. He's the CTO of User Testing, a human insight platform that provides companies with the opportunity to gather real-time feedback from real customers regardless of where an item stands within the development process. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Kai joins me for a conversation centered on how user testing is creating real-time feedback loops based on the emotions and interactions real people experience with a product. Plus, Kai goes under the hood and explains how user testing is using these insights to create actionable insights for their clients. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the Chief Technology Officer of User Testing, Kai Vandaloo. Kai, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, right to it, user testing. The name seems obvious what it's for, but tell us what is user testing, the company? What do they offer? What do you guys do? As you might have guessed, we help companies test experiences with users, with their could be their current customers, potential customers, partners, employees, uh, people who've never heard of them, what have you. So essentially, anybody who's creating an experience can use our platform to get feedback in the creation process, whether it's an early sketch you want feedback on or a design before you start developing, if it's throughout the development of the experience, and of course, experiences that already are out in the wild and being used. Anything in all of that that you want to experience, anything that you've created, any experience you've created, whether digital or physical, that you want feedback. So that's what I want to dive into because that's what's fascinating because this isn't just a product that tests software. You mentioned the physical. In fact, on your homepage, the user testing homepage, there is a woman clearly, or to me clearly, providing some type of feedback on a makeup product. And you just said it, physical as well. Tell us the biggest difference between, because I think a lot of people hear user testing and they start thinking of software-centric uh, application inside of my software. So imagine I'm, I am a software maker. I install another software inside of my software and it tracks users. It tracks what they do. It gives me back feedback loops of how they're interacting with software. But user testing is a little bit different. Tell us how your unique approach to testing both software as well as physical products and experiences. We complement all these other forms of 
uh, getting insights into how your product or how your experience is used by giving you real human insights into what people actually think while they're doing this. So from other tools, you can get insights into what people click on and how long they dwell on a particular page or whatever it is. But we connect you directly out to your customers or your users, and they tell you, they think out loud, they give you their personal feedback. We record everything they do. We can record the face as well. So it's almost like you're sitting there talking to someone when they try out the experience you have created, whether it's a website or a mobile app or as we said, a physical experience. So this is like being with someone in their home while they unbox a product and maybe try it on. And they talk to you, they are their authentic self. It's a very human connection that you build there. And, and this really helps build empathy in a way that all this data that we collect in other ways can never do. So how does your role impact this experience uh, for your customers? So user testing, it sounds like, you know, if I, if I were to start listening to this podcast from the very beginning, not too much idea in front of it, it's now starting to sound like a marketplace. Uh, it sounds like if I bring you my product, you have users that will play with and test the product. They're going to be willing to record themselves. Uh, it sounds like, how does the technology of what user testing provide help narrow the gap uh, for a, let's say, one of your clients for them to collect this feedback? How do you guys make their lives easier? Oh, there's a lot of technology involved in this whole process of you getting to the interesting moments that matter to you to understand how you can improve the experience you're providing. It starts with the different ways that we can define audiences. So you can bring your own test participants if you want, if you have maybe your most loyal pod listeners, if you want to hear from them what they think, if you want to hear from people who have never heard of you, we have a panel of many, many people uh, signed up who frequently take these tests and they check in and they see if there's something available for them to, to, to test that. And there you can relatively easily probably find people who've never heard of you. So you, we, we kind of support this whole spectrum of your most loyal people out to people who've never heard of you. And in all of this, there's quite some sophistication in how we distribute tests out to potential participants. Uh, we try to target these tests as well as we can so that the participants who are most interested and uh, most likely to be good testers, uh, that we most likely to give good feedback, that we target them with a particular test. So there's a lot of technology already in just how these how you find your audience. And there's a lot of interesting technology and we're doing a lot of exciting work in this area at the moment, how the experience gets recorded. And then perhaps the most technology intensive area is around the analysis of the results. If you get just five, 15 minute videos back, that's a lot of time for you to sit and listen and watch through all of those. But that's where we apply a lot of machine learning. We transcribe everything that people say. Uh, we analyze the transcripts for strong emotions. We pick out interesting moments. 
We analyze if it's a website, we can analyze the flow through the site, we can see where people have been clicking. So all of this then complements what they actually said, and it helps guide you towards the highlights, and, and we can automatically create highlight reels for you and so that you, um, as the end user who's trying to produce a better experience, that you get the feedback nicely packaged up. So could you walk our audience through an example that you might have of someone who came in with a hypothesis, their product, they thought their customers would react a certain way, they use user testing, you guys get it tested to the right cohort, your analysis brings back a feedback. Because usually that's the, the, the big surprise, right? Is you don't know exactly, you can spend all your time developing a product in a vacuum. You will not know how people will react until they have it in hand. Uh, one of my favorite stories about this is James Dyson, when he first created the Dyson vacuum, he historically showed everybody that it was going to collect all the dust in a clear, transparent container. And all the vacuum manufacturers told him, no one is going to want to see that dirt and you know dust in there. They were all so confident that they, no one would ever want to see how much dirt and dust was collected. Yet, what did James Dyson found out when it went to user testing, which is they absolutely loved it and they liked knowing how much dust they had just picked up. I would love to hear some stories that you might have of what businesses and companies have uncovered using user testing. 2020 was, of course, a year of change for many businesses. Brand new businesses sprung up as people didn't want to go out of their house very much. And we were working with one of these liquor delivery companies that's essentially they offered to go to the liquor store for you, which was great service and 2020, when people didn't feel comfortable going out, but they didn't want to stop drinking. So they built a website. They presumably got some kind of network of, of shoppers and uh, they started testing with us. And it was very interesting to see. So this was a brand new business model. I don't, I don't know if this even was legal before. <laughs> brand new business model. And, and they put up this website. It was very interesting, the things that... Uh, we found out how there was tremendous friction in how the users had to enter their delivery address, for example. There were lots of these things that made people just give up on the site, give up on their shopping experience. They were easy to fix. It was just like in the, the rush they had to become the first liquor delivery service, they had not taken the time to design these things properly. So I think they, within a few iterations, the website went very hard to use and taking, I don't remember what it was, like 40 clicks to place an order. <laughs> it came down to being easy to use and with just clicks that everybody intuitively understood how to place within just a few iterations because they got human feedback at every step along the way. And we've had many... Other examples, retailers suddenly starting to offer curbside delivery mm -hmm. that they had never done. And it's not trivial if you've never thought about a curbside delivery experience and, and suddenly your whole survival hinges on having being able to offer curbside delivery, being able to test and get just hear from people who use it. There were interesting things in there, like the majority of people who had to go to one pickup location had to make a left turn. At least their navigation system told them to make a left turn across two lanes going in the opposite direction. And they freaked out about this 
uh, weird approach to the pickup place. So they simply moved the pickup spot uh, around the corner and the pickup became much easier. So things like that, that you may, when you look at it from the position of the company providing the experience, you don't think about it or you don't think about it early on that people will, will tell you. And once you hear it, it's obvious. And it's obvious what you're going to go do about it. And I think in 2020, with the, the many new experiences that were created and the, this whole mix of digital and physical experiences, where you now need a, to have an app on your phone to be able to order a coffee before you go pick it up, that whole mixed digital physical experiences, a lot of this was new uh, for, for many of our customers in 2020. And, and many of them had greatly benefited from these human insights along the way. What about for yourself? Because you, you know, prior to you being at user testing, you were at 4C. And for those of us who have all been shopping, a lot of times surveys pop up while shopping. And that is 4C, where we can add our input and give, you know, provide our input on experience. So you've been involved in this industry customer experience for quite a long time. Uh, now you're at user testing. What have you noticed about or observed about people and their ability to use and navigate through products and services? Have we fundamentally changed, making it harder to deliver to our expectation or are things still the same? I'm curious if you had noticed any trends on how humans themselves behave with products and services now. I think we all tend to remember the good experiences we have, and that creates expectations across all other similar or comparable experiences. This is something like if one website offers a great feature, say an e-commerce site, maybe Amazon again invents some really nice, helpful feature that they launch on Amazon. If you a week later, you're on some other website and they don't offer the same feature, now you're a little disappointed and it doesn't really matter what the other website is. This was something we saw a lot of at 4C, that if one segment, one industry, one like subset of, of websites or mobile apps raises the bar, that translates into lower satisfaction across many other industries. Like if you, you go to, yeah, say you, you want to go change your cell phone subscription plan, and maybe your cell phone provider doesn't have the world's most usable website, you're not going to compare that to three other cell phone providers. You're going to compare that to your last great shopping experience. So like anybody who puts out new experiences raises the bar and people's expectations just keep, keep growing. Something that may have happened in 2020, though, is that with many of these new experiences popping up, the world may also have become a little bit more transactional. Like if I go order something for a curbside pickup from a store I've never shopped from before, but because they were the ones ordering curbside pickup, I don't have any loyalty for them. The experience, my first experience with them determines whether I'm going to work with them in the future or not. So those are, I think, two things that the bar keeps, keeps getting higher and higher. And especially with these newer experiences, it's become very transactional and, and the brands have to make a first impression over and over again. So Kai, I love the answer. I love the insight into the fact that every company that raises our experience actually elevates the requirements and expectation across the whole marketplace. We see that all the time. And when it comes to, for example, fast shipping, right? When Amazon launched 
Prime, two-day shipping, people were like, whoa, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, when it's something ships longer than a week, you question the other business's viability. Like it's the expect even small businesses. That's like probably the number one complaint small business operators have is expectation to ship and receive returns is on par with Amazon. And then what happened in 2020, as you know, with the shipping logistics and the USPS being overwhelmed with e-commerce, well, Amazon built their own last mile delivery service. So things ordered through one service, got there on time, things ordered through all the other services, never made it. And it created an overwhelmingly, let's say, bad experience or bad impression about all these other businesses. Uh, I was reading about how, I mean, unless you're like a really practical and pragmatic shopper and you empathize or believe in the small business operator on the other side and you say, okay, well, I will tolerate my Christmas packages being later because I know that Kai's a one-man show, that he's packing orders himself. I can deal with it because the USPS didn't follow through. But for a large majority of the population, they're behaving very similar to what you talked about, which is they had a great experience and now they're just comparing everything else to that experience. There is no, there is no like, uh, I don't know, that Amazon's a, you know, one of a kind company. They're thinking to themselves, all companies should behave like this. Yeah. So if I can see where my package is on a map, why can I not see where, where the cable TV installer is? Why do I get a four hour window for the cable guy to come? <laughs> And I can't see where they are. Why do I not know where he is when I can see where my little package is? So the, the expectations get raised across what maybe to the, the company providing the experience may seem like irrelevant comparisons, but that's how we function as humans. We see a good thing somewhere. We want it everywhere. So you're talking about something that's happening in our marketplace where the customer expectation is getting so high. And then for a business to meet that expectation increasingly gets higher. And so Give us an idea. Of course, you can't share everything when it comes to new customers of user testing, but are you seeing increases in the types of companies, the spread, the verticals? Like, I'm curious how many companies that maybe before weren't so concerned about uh, user experience are now coming to user testing, knocking on your door and saying, hey, Kai, I need an answer for this. I didn't know if you could share any insight as to how the company in its breadth of customer is growing. We've seen a healthy increase throughout all of um, 2020 across the board from newly founded startups trying to take advantage of the new reality we live in to the world's largest companies doubling down and then trying to increase their business and everybody understanding that it's about the experience you provide. So there's been a pretty uniform growth across our customer base. What we also see is that existing customers really are um, doubling down on this way of getting feedback. As maybe before they would fly people into labs and sit there and study them or have in-person focus groups and all kinds of things that for obvious reasons doesn't happen anymore. So the, the way of our online, easy self-service testing the, the demand for that has grown tremendously. Give us an idea of some of the things that you and your team have implemented to make it easier for brands to capture this information because you kind of hit on it right away, which is if, I, if I'm the maker of a microphone and I want people to get my unboxing experience, you already hit the nail on the head. It doesn't really help me if only 15 people participate or if I get feedback of tapes, I have to keep watching and watching and make my own decisions. I'm curious what things 
you know, because user testing has, we've read in the articles about different features that you guys ship. I'd love for our audience to understand some of the ways you, you know, hearing from inside your mind, how you and your team are approaching, what solutions are necessary to make it easier for me, the business that wants the test, like how do I get the results I need? How does it make it easier for me to consume and know what my, my customers are doing with this? I'd say there are two big things we've been working on for the past year and a half or so. One is to enable everybody within the company to get this feedback. Whoever you are who's involved in creating, it should be able to get privileged for a few researchers who get feedback on behalf of everybody else. And this, I'm very happy to see how some of our thought-leading customers are starting to implement this, where if you're a designer, you can, straight from your design tool, immediately launch a test. It's all predefined, pre-scripted, but you can get feedback on the thing you just designed. How to deep research, generative research. You're trying to find out what people think about something that may not even exist and how to go about developing something like that and, and everything in between. And, and we've done a lot to help designers, product managers, marketers, make it really easy for them. They don't know how to do research and they don't want to do research. They just want to get feedback. Uh, they want to want this connection out to the end customer. They want this human element of the feedback. So that's something we've spent a lot of time on to try to make it easy for people who just want to connect to a few customers, hear from them, and use that often in very iterative development. How do you guys speed up that feedback loop? Because that's one of the things that I'm thinking about is a lot of these testers, they're not user testing employees. How do you ensure that, hey, if I need feedback and I need to get this loop back of information quickly, how does that, how do you guys ensure that can happen? We've got our own panel, as you know. It's large and above all, it's very healthy. We do a lot to keep our panel participants engaged. Uh, we try to make it a very pleasant experience to join the panel, make that very easy. And then once you're on the panel, we try to send tests your way that really are relevant to you, that matter the most, that you're likely to qualify for. We try to make the whole testing experience pleasant and we pay you. So we really try to make the participant experience as pleasant as possible to maintain this very healthy panel. And we get very positive feedback from our customers on the quality of the test participants. That's something that keeps coming back every time we talk to customers is the quality of the feedback they got was very high. So there's there's also this idea that a lot of people are actually out of touch or unable to very easily articulate what they're experiencing. And I know and from what I read, user, you guys are also investing in technologies to make this more evident, self-evident. So that doesn't require a user to complete it. So I started thinking to myself, like, what does that mean? Like, for example, if my eyes wander off the object for any period of time, you could say lost attention span or like didn't capture attention span. Like you would know that like they, they, they gapped out if they were uh, sighing or huffing, like <sighs> you would know that they're getting frustrated. They, even if they didn't type that they were getting frustrated, you would just know that they're getting frustrated. What are some of the things that user testing is measured uh, or measuring or looking to measure to help better identify what a person is experiencing? Because I think we all agree that people are actually quite bad at explaining why they or what they're feeling when they, when they experience something new. We've invested a lot in 
complementing what people say by looking at what they actually do and tracking their clicks and scrolls and taps and what have you, if it's in a digital experience, and try to match that up with what they say. If somebody says, okay, and now I'm hitting the search button, uh, we can check to see, did they actually hit the search button? And, and if somebody talks about the search results and whether they were easy or difficult to, to analyze, we can look at what were the search results and how were they ordered? So we're looking more and more into complementing what people say with what they do. And also, as, as you mentioned, with a facial expression, things like that, that we now we offer the possibility to record a participant's face. And we've started looking at what can we extract from that, the emotions that people display in nonverbal ways. How do you line that up with what they actually said? So we're trying to create these more, more complete pictures of what actually happens uh, while somebody is going through the, the experience. No, that's fascinating stuff because, you know, now, so our, we can expect our feedback is more accurate. We get our faster feedback loops and you kind of hinted at it already where you were talking about in certain situations, obviously it's easier to ship software than a physical product. The software companies that are using this, they can actually update features almost, it sounds like immediately, like they can almost get immediate feedback and say, I'm going to update this and give it, give it a go again, run another test to see if people can get through the, let's say a form, like you said earlier, uh, get through a form faster. Is that how fast companies are iterating while using these services? Yeah. I mean, most companies today develop software in an agile manner. They have their sprints. If it's a two week sprint or so, if they make sure that before the next sprint starts, they run a few tests, they can take that into account in the planning of the upcoming sprint. So they can take this feedback into account in the sprint planning. They can do it within a sprint. But normally what we see and how we use it ourselves is we try to embed it in our sprint calendar to make sure that we get fresh feedback by the time we plan the next two weeks sprint. So this is fascinating to me because now I want to go into, because you're right, that's how fast software companies work. But do individual developers have their own seats? Like, do they run their own mini tests? So if I think back to when I worked at software companies, yes, there was a sprint and there was a feature set, let's say, or a module that had to get built. But every developer was working on like their piece of the pie. And some of them might be, you know, they theoretically, if they had access to this product, they could have run their own tests without any of their bosses or superiors or other developers, team leads, whatever you want to call them seeing it at all. Like they could have run these tests potentially and fixed it and then checked it into the main branch where everyone else is working that could then be checked in as part of the sprint. Do you see users or are companies using it at the individual developer level? Or is it still uh, more like what you described just a moment ago, where once the, the sprint is done, then they go to testing as a team? We see more and more use on the individual level. Primarily designers, uh, whether you're doing product design or you're producing content in marketing, a lot of very fast testing, not even on a sprint calendar now, but you're just, you've created something, give me feedback now. Yeah. And then within two hours or so, you have some feedback. And before you submit it to somebody else, you can improve it. And you do this once or twice, boom, you are likely to have produced a much better design, whether it's product design or uh, marketing content or whatever it is. And we see 
and whole organizations adopting this style of working that each individual has access to user testing they provide templates for different use cases whether you have produced ad copy or whatever it is there is a template available exactly for that use case you can just pick it launch your test and get relevant feedback very quickly i'm literally thinking about how it wasn't really that long ago i mean it still might be happening right now on linkedin people would post like four or five headshots right and they would go to their audience hey tell me which one's better like they were literally getting user testing feedback loops on the fly before they updated the profile pic I'm sure people have done it in other ways, but then thinking of this, this is almost like, I mean, it's almost like it's a social media where you know all your audience is actually official testers and that's the feedback loop you get, right? It's almost like I do a post, I get feedback. It's pretty cool. How do you guys, how does user testing and how do you, and, you know, from your perspective, how do you ensure that your testers are qualified to provide the feedback? Or is there no qualification required? I'm curious who becomes a tester and how does, how does one become part of the testing pool? And what, what do you look for in the testing pool? I'll give you an example. Like, you know, am I a good tester for software? I don't know. You know, if, if I know for sure there's certain physical products like that makeup that you showed, I'm not a good tester for that because I don't know how to use makeup. Right? <laughs> I can't be, that can't be me. So I'm curious how you, how you vet who gets what and where do people place in the cohorts so that your customers get the right feedback they need. Or our panel participants, we ask them to tell us about themselves. And then before they get their first test on behalf of a customer, they take a practice test. And we preview all of these practice tests and we give the participants feedback. So they have to kind of pass that. They have to deliver a high quality practice test. If the quality isn't high enough, we give them feedback and they can take it again. And then once they're on the panel, also the customer gets to rate them. So if they get low scores, we also we have a team that then reaches out to them that analyzes how it went and whether this low score was justified. If it's not, uh, if it is justified, they reach out to the participant and try to coach them on how to get better. Many of them get very high ratings and, and that kind of builds their profile over time. So when we distribute tests out to potential test participants, the, the rating gets taken into account and, and a number of other factors. And of course, over time, we learn about the participants because our customers can ask what we call screener questions, uh, where they may ask you, do you drink coffee? And if you don't, maybe you're not in the right target audience for this particular test. So over time, we also learn about people in, in that way based on the answers to, to these screener questions. And increasingly, we try to take that knowledge, the overall knowledge we have about our panel and its participants into account when we distribute tests and uh, just make sure that people get served up the tests that they're most likely to be good test participants for. Oh, fascinating stuff. One really interesting thing we've done lately is develop an algorithm that watches video and determines the quality of it. So based on how humans judge what is good feedback, for example, there are some audio things that you speak clearly and such things, but also that you express meaningful emotions. If it's just a 
droning and you really don't give any positive or negative feedback, that's less interesting than people who actually can articulate themselves clearly and uh, be positive or negative. And as we have been developing this, it's been really interesting. It's a set of algorithms that can automatically rate the quality of a video. And uh, this has been very successful. We've started using it more and more to automatically determine what good feedback is and what isn't. So now I got to ask, you know, this is all very fascinating stuff. How much do you pay your testers? Because now I feel like I should sign up. (laughs) You should. A standard test for about 15 minutes length and we pay 10 US dollars for. That's kind of the the standard test type and the standard uh, compensation. Then there can be longer tests that pay more. There can be shorter ones that pay less. And, uh, but, but the standard is $10 for a 15 minute test. And then is there any limits to how many I can take? There are no limits to how many you can take, but many customers don't want to hear from the same people over and over again. So we have, uh, logic to prevent that from happening. Uh, we also have our algorithms that distribute tests also try to not send tests to the same people all, all the time. So there's some sophistication, as I said, in this test distribution. No, this is pretty fascinating stuff. You know, hearing hearing what you're doing, hearing your experience in customer experience as the you know former chief product officer at Foreseed, current chief technology officer at user testing, your experiences seeing tests happen, I got to ask the question and go full circle. So I want to talk about some of the colossal, let's say, mistake launches that companies have had. And then the question then becomes, would user testing have caught this before it got went live? So I'll use this because I did, you know, we'll start with Crystal Pepsi. Do you remember Crystal Pepsi? I don't. I don't drink soft drinks. So I'm not the target audience for that one. Well, Crystal Pepsi was Pepsi that was clear. It didn't look, you know, it looked like Sprite, but it tasted like Pepsi. That's what they, that's what their goal was, at least. Huge national campaign. Of course, they ran focus groups where people told them that the soda tasted good because they couldn't overinvest in like a, you know, hundred million, billion dollar, whatever it was to launch it. They wouldn't have been able to invest that kind of money at that size and scale unless they got some feedback that it was good. But when it got to open market, nobody bought it. Uh, this has happened in the fast food categories a couple of times. Uh, McDonald's, famously their Mighty Wings product, tested great, sold terrible. The McArch Deluxe, poor McDonald's, they're in there twice. That happened to them as well. More recently, let's think of some big launch failures. Uh, when Netflix tried to spin off its DVD service and call it Quickster, I think they rolled that back within like 30 days. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like all the rage people were like, oh my God, what's Quickster? We don't want this, right? I'm curious. Obviously, user testing wasn't available, or not user, your company service, user testing wasn't available then. Do you think you would have caught those mistakes? Not impossible. Uh, I think many of these where companies have focus groups and they have people sitting around the table and there may be a lot of like group think coming into those. And uh, I think it's when, when you have, if you find real people out there in the world who uh, have no connection, they may not know. Uh, many of our test participants, like they don't know what company they are testing for. They don't know who, who launched the test. So I think people are very honest and like from the comfort of your own home, there's no pressure to say anything in particular. So I think many of these things you probably would have been able to catch. That's where there also is a 
some science behind this testing, like how you craft the test and, and what kind of people you look for, which demographics you try to test with. That all matters very much. Like in the example of the Crystal Pepsi, you may not want your most loyal Pepsi drinkers because they may be predisposed to saying that, oh yeah, this is great. It tastes like Pepsi. You may want people who maybe occasionally drink Pepsi and, and you may not have a relationship to them. You may not be able to invite them to your focus groups. So yes, I think we could have using user testing as it is today, probably could have helped avoid some of those mistakes. Yeah. The way I read on it is that what happened was people didn't ask the right question. If you ask somebody, does this product taste good? They might tell you it tastes good. It might tell you it tastes bad. Doesn't doesn't. But let's assume everyone overwhelmingly says it tastes good. What they failed to ask was if you have $1 to spend and you have to eat, will you buy this? Because now you're competing against the market. You're no longer saying, is this good? It's like, would you spend money on this or would you buy something else? And that's the real question because overwhelmingly people chose to buy something else. <laughs> and that's why um, asking these kind of questions, there is science to it. And that's something we're also trying to make it much easier for our customers through templates. We've built out our template library for specific use cases greatly so that if you're trying to test, I don't know if we have a, a soft drink testing template, but if not, we'll make one. <laughs> uh, we build a template library so that you can find templates that are developed by researchers that you know is asking the right questions in the right way to give you the outcomes that you as our customer are after. No, that's, that is awesome. Well, Kai, it is time to go to the next part of our podcast, and that is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Kai, this is where we ask you some questions about your life outside of user testing so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Okay. All right, Kai. What do you like to do outside of user testing? So you can't say work. Tell me a hobby that you might have. I like to spend time outdoors. When there's snow, I like to ski. When there's wind, I like to sail. So a lot of outdoor activities. I like to cook and eat. Just do those things with my family, wife and seven-year-old son. My, they're my favorite skiing buddies, my favorite sailing partners and uh my favorite guinea pigs for whatever I cook. Okay. So this is great because I, I've, I'm an amateur skier at best. I've only skied a handful of times, but I've done it a couple of times. Where's your favorite place that you've been skiing? Probably Hokkaido in Japan. I think has this amazing combination of some of the most amazing snow I've ever experienced. I just love the Japanese culture. Being in the back country in Hokkaido is probably the best I've ever had. Okay. Kai, this is, everyone that's listening to IT Visionaries now is probably booking a ticket to Hokkaido because every skier or snowboarder we've had on the show has named that as their favorite place to go. <laughs> so it must be that good. This, is, this has become like a unilateral answer. This is awesome. When it comes to cooking, what's your favorite dish you like to make? I'm Swedish and I like to kind of revisit traditional Swedish cooking, uh, try to apply the great California ingredients that we can get here, the fresh ingredients, and try to make more traditional Swedish dishes with the, the quality California ingredients. That is awesome. When's the last time you got a chance to go back to Sweden? Forever ago. No, it must have been 
just before the pandemic, <laughs> about a year ago. Nice. What's the coolest part about Sweden that nobody knows? Everybody knows Stockholm is the world's most beautiful city. So, and it is. Well, one thing I really like about Stockholm is not just the, the beauty of it, but that you can just board a boat in the downtown of Stockholm and within less than an hour, you're out in the archipelago. You can go to small islands, uh, just go hang out on a little island for the day. And then you take the boat back and you're back in the middle of the city again. I think that's pretty unique. Well, there we have it. Kai, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your insights into what is happening across the board in user testing. And thanks for sharing your love of Sweden, your love of skiing. And for those skiers out there, if you've got a place to go, visit Hokkaido. That's what Kai recommends. Thank you, Albert. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.